It's going down, and you're invited for what they selling. We ain't buying. There is no running. There is no hiding. There's only fighting or dying. It's going down, and you're invited for what they selling. We ain't buying. There is no running. There is no hiding. There's only fighting or dying. It's Going Down is a digital community center from anarchist, anti-fascist, autonomous, anti-capitalist, and anti-colonial movements. Our mission is to provide an autonomous and resilient platform to publicize and promote revolutionary theory and action. Go to itsgoingdown.org for daily updates. Check out our online store for ways to donate and rate and follow us on iTunes if you like this podcast. My name is Jimmy Dunson. I'm with Mutual Aid Disaster Relief. Uh, I use any pronouns, um, and I have been part of Mutual Aid Disaster Relief uh, for several years now, and before that, other solidarity-based disaster response efforts. Awesome. And we were just talking about, before we started recording, that it's been a couple years since you were on this podcast. I believe we were talking about a tour that you were going on. And since that time, so much has happened. Mutual aid disaster relief has really spread. There's been some amazing things that have been going on. Obviously, a bunch of bad stuff that people have had to respond to. We're going to kind of get into the nitty-gritty of that and especially talk about what's going on in Florida. But first, talk about what's been going on in general with Mutual Aid Disaster Relief. And you put out a book. Let's talk about kind of both those things before we get into Florida. Since the cross-country tour, uh, popular education tour, talking about mutual aid and solidarity, we had the pandemic. Um, and there was an explosion of mutual aid groups that, that have sprung up by the hundreds or by the thousands. And so... Mutual Aid Disaster Relief has supported those efforts however we could, back them up through COVID and, and other disasters as well as, as we're having multiple overlapping uh, disasters. And we're also have been working on building our own autonomous mobile infrastructure, uh, solar trailer, uh, fuel trailer. And I'll talk, I'll talk a little bit more about that with, in relation to Hurricane Ian. We just, we just got a, you know, mobile medical unit that we're using uh, for for this storm to respond to people's medical and wellness needs. And yes, I I, I put out a book. Uh, it's it's actually an anthology. So about 20 contributors, individuals, and groups uh, helped with uh, making it a reality. And it's called Building Power While the Lights Are Out: Disasters, Mutual Aid, and Dual Power. And uh, the, you know, the two metaphors that are interlocking that I kept seeing come up again in different uh, essays, different pieces in, in, in the anthology. Uh, and, and, and these metaphors, I thought, really illustrate the potential and power of organizing in this capacity and, you know, tr- moving towards dual power. And those metaphors are cracks and seeds, cracks referring to that there's moments and times where more is possible and that there, uh, there's, you know, as the Zapatistas say, there's a crack in the wall that divides us and we can see, you know, to the future, you know, through that. And, you know, we like to say we can see each other, you know, through those cracks. And what nature teaches us is that the most powerful way to widen those cracks is, is actually from below, uh, from, from getting right into the cracks and crevices 
of Empire, wherever we fall, wherever we are situated, and blooming and blossoming and growing. The most powerful way to destroy that concrete or asphalt is seeds, you know, sprouting from below. Uh, and that that's that's what this time calls for. And in the thousands of upon thousands of different ways and positions that we are, the most powerful way we can destroy the imperialist, white supremacist, capitalist patriarchy is to create. And, and that's one thing that that we've been seeing a lot in recent years in relation to disasters uh, is is this blossoming of people-powered, mutual aid, solidarity-based, liberatory responses. What's it been like for you as an organizer that's been through so many different iterations of mutual aid and disaster relief organizing, kind of going from what y'all were doing, you know, around 2018, last time we talked, and then seeing the response not only to the pandemic with the just immense explosion of mutual aid groups, but then also just continued disaster relief activity. Would you say that things are growing or people like learning from the past and, and getting bigger or have things kind of remained the same scale? Things have definitely grown as a movement. And that's really what Mutual Aid Disaster Relief tries to foster is uh, we're, we try to we, we think of ourselves as a Swiss army knife for the larger movement. And we've been trying to help this bloom and blossom. And so it's not all about what Mutual Aid Disaster Relief specifically does, um, but also, you know, what we can inspire and support other similarly aligned groups and collectives and affinity groups to do. I was amazed after Hurricane Ian or after Hurricane Ida in southern Louisiana, there was do- there were dozens of different mutual aid groups responding uh, to, to that hurricane. And that's, I think, illustrative of the changing mutual aid landscape is that there really are, you know, dozens or hundreds or even thousands of different uh, different groups and efforts and projects responding in this type of way. So it, it is much more of a wider movement ecosystem uh, than it was just five years ago. A Swiss army knife for the wider movement. I love that. We got to put that on a t-shirt or something. <laughs> put on a banner. Well, yeah, let's, let's kind of get into what happened with Ian. There's so many questions I have to ask. I want to kind of start at the beginning. There is a lot of anger on the ground at the response from the state. I kind of want to start there. This was talked about as this was going to be a pretty big hurricane and it turned out to be something that was very devastating, obviously. And obviously that impact is still going on. But talk about the response from the state. From what we've seen in the mass media, for those of us living outside the area, there seems to be a lot of anger and what seems to be the state not telling people in time or not providing them with a way to get out. How did the state respond to Hurricane Ian? They're pushing their fundraisers. Um, to you know, we 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 would think that you know, with them with all of their taxes, they they would have enough funds, but. They're actually pushing their own state uh, fundraisers uh, for a disaster response. Um, and, of course, you know, they, they do very little um, for, for people on the ground. Pretty much everywhere we go for Hurricane Ian and uh, previous disasters as well, the people tell us we're the first help they've seen. Uh, you know, they, they expect, you know, maybe somebody with the Red Cross or FEMA will will come and do something, but... 
way, way too often, you know, they, they, they don't see that help. And, you know, when we do arrive with supplies or a mobile medical unit or other, other support, uh, folks tell us that we're the first help they've got. So were there instances indeed in which people got less than 24 hours notice to evacuate? The Hurricane Ian projections went from basically uh, Fort Myers up to almost Pensacola area and then back down to Fort Myers, um, you know, within the space of several days. And so even, you know, like even if people wanted to evacuate, you know, oftentimes they didn't have transportation or if if they did have transportation, they couldn't find the gas. And there's there's a lot of a lot of barriers to, to keep people from uh, being able to evacuate. And then also, you know, some people evacuated and then still, you know, where they evacuated to got experienced flooding. You know, both, you know, I uh, met a couple, you know, in uh, Fort Myers area, they evacuated to Naples. And then the hotel they were staying at got three feet of water, flooded their car. You know, they had to escape, you know, through the window, you know, and other people, evacuated to Orlando. Orlando also experienced flooding all the way across the other side of the state. When storms like this do hit, does the state provide any sort of resources in terms of like evacuating people? Like if you get this notice, it's like, hey, you've got less than a day to get out of here. Is that just kind of like, hey, you're on your own, best of luck to you? Or is it like, hey, get on this bus and we'll help you? Because as a lot of people have pointed out, there are people with disabilities, elderly folks, people that don't have transportation, people that can't afford it, that are physically stuck there, or maybe they have, like, service animals, you know, young children, that it's hard to, like, necessarily, within this, the scope of less than 24 hours, get out of their home and, and take off and go far enough away to be safe. The The state, you know, and I would add capitalism as well, has proved over and over again that it is incapable of meeting the multiple crises that we face. They're completely, you know, ill-equipped and don't have the wherewithal uh, to help us survive. To, you know, they, the the state and capital are sinking, and it's time to jump jump ship and swim to the other shore. If if we don't, we're not going to survive. So in other words, just basically, you get a notice, and that's basically about it. It's up to you to get out of there. There's no bus or plane that comes and picks you up and takes you to safety you've just got to figure it out on your own the state if or when they respond often it is with law enforcement and with you know people think uh that after hurricane ian you know before during after expect it you know the cavalry to come you know in the form of fema workers you know they're definitely have a large enough budget uh but but they're not coming and it, it is up to our us, you know, from below to self-organize uh, for, for our own survival. There's been both anger on one side at the response from the government, and then also a lot of people have kind of like drank the Kool-Aid and are praising uh, DeSantis. Biden kind of came out and did this hand-holdy thing and said like how great DeSantis has been and how wonderful the response has been. What did you think when you saw that? I, I, I heard about it, but I didn't even see it. You know, I, I think... That, that's a perfect example of how what, what the state does is, is theater. It's a theater state. They, they stand behind, you know, podiums in front of flags and they wear certain clothes and, you know, act in a certain way. And that is supposed to project 
a certain you know reality that they are in power and control what happens in society and that's completely illusory uh they they have very little impact except you know to pass you know for example you know with florida governor desantis you know passing bills that um you know target people teachers who are teaching actual history to, to students or uh, you know, they have, they passed the don't say gay bill, you know, targeting, you know, LGBTQ people. DeSantis has really been on, you know, the front lines of passing these, uh, really draconian, you know, culture war, uh, legislation, uh, in Florida. Been fortunate enough to have some, uh, youth on this program, some anarchist youth talking about, uh, pushing back against all that stuff. But, Let's talk about the impact of the hurricane on various communities. I mean, I've read a lot of horror stories about people's, like, trailers getting totally washed away, uh, folks, like, having to go on top of roofs to survive from the storm. How has the hurricane impacted different communities and neighborhoods in different ways? Some, some people um, experienced a lot of flooding in the Fort Myers area and Naples and way over in Orlando. People experienced, you know, several feet of flooding. And then after, after the flooding, if or when people escape, um, you know, when they come back, they have to sift through all of their belongings. Uh, you know, there's, there's a mold issue. Some people are still living in the homes, uh, even though there is, you know, so, you know, health issues related to the mold. We're, we're trying to help with everything that, that, that we're able to, but, uh, you know, of course it's, you know, drop in the bucket to what is actually needed. Other places in the, like, Port Charlotte, Punta Gorda uh, region have experienced, like, a lot of wind damage. There's a lot of RV parks and trailers in southwest Florida. Uh, a lot of elderly people staying in, in those communities. And RVs and trailers do not fare well in Category 4 winds. Um, some of them, you know, were completely demolished. Uh, some of them were overturned. Some of them are no longer on, located at the same address they were before. And the impacts and, and then the subsequent recovery follow along similar lines of, of, of oppression, race and class and gender and age and, and different things like that, uh, that, um, that we see, you know, with, with other disasters previously. <laughs> Making yourself a best 
kind of explain for us? Because I think for those of us that have never lived through something like this or maybe are experiencing something completely different, like forest fires or wildfires or something like that. So this hurricane happens. There's massive flooding. You know, you brought up FEMA. Like, what does the state actually do, if anything, in a situation like this? Because I think some of us, even if we're critical or don't like the state, obviously, we still have this image in our head that there's going to be helicopters and boats going around helping people. What's the reality when something like this goes down? Like, what does the state actually do, if anything? There are times when the National Guard uh, does, you know, rescue people stranded in floodwaters. More often, we get texts on our phones that that say, you know, basically, if you're still in the area past this date, past this time, basically, you're on your own, you know, and good luck. Um, you know, EMS isn't going to come. Um, and that's like post-storm, right? We got that text previous to Hurricane Ian hitting. But once the winds have died down, and do like you see boats come out trying to help people get off roofs and stuff, or like trying to find people that might be stuck in the water, or is that just done people in their own neighborhoods, basically? I think it's both. You know, the, the National Guard and authorities like that do 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 rescues like that, and then also um, there's you know like crowdsource rescue type type efforts where where people do it themselves i wasn't in the floodwaters you know i i'm in i live in tampa florida and you know we didn't experience that up here you know so you know i came in after you know with 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 supplies and 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 things like that well i just want to ask one more question on this tip before we kind of transition to talk about other stuff but there's been a lot of stuff written about the disparagencies in the relief efforts, you know, once the water kind of succeeds and, you know, the devastation is very clear, everything that's been impacted and destroyed. And a lot of folks have talking about, you know, especially communities of color hit the hardest. Can you talk about that? The state, the market, and even the nonprofit industrial complex, they're not meeting the needs of survivors, especially those historically marginalized. Uh, we, we often go to trailer parks and public housing facilities and neighborhoods that have been historically neglected and experiencing disaster long before a hurricane or those communities are often neglected and abandoned far before a hurricane hits. But also, um, you know, in, in all of these communities, people come together to take care of each other. And that's what we see time and time again is that disaster survivors themselves are the real first responders. And it's up to uh, more established networks and groups uh, to support spontaneous manifestations of mutual aid when they arise. Yeah, and we'll kind of get into that uh, now as we start to talk about the relief response, you know, from below. So tell us how mutual aid disaster relief and sort of uh, other groups that were working with y'all, how did they start organizing the wake of Ian? So this thing happens, takes everybody by surprise, so to speak, uh, immense devastation. So how do you all kind of start to begin while all this chaos is going on? Individually and collectively, you know, it, it differs, you know, but we, we were getting ready, you know, previous to Hurricane Ian hitting um, both, you know, like all throughout, um, you know, Florida checking in on each other and preparing to respond and support each other's regions, uh, depending on where Hurricane Ian made landfall. Central Florida Mutual Aid uh, put out 
a hotline number uh, where where people could uh, call and and also email uh, for for assistance. And then they subsequently started uh, helping uh, in in their area in uh, near in the Orange County Orlando area um, with uh, flood cleanup. Uh, mucking and gutting and, and different things like that. There's a group in uh, Sarasota, Streets of Paradise. There's w- one of one of our folks who went down to Puerto Rico, uh, came back and started a group down there that's named Streets of Paradise. And uh, they they were we uh, we have this uh, awesome solar trailer that provides uh, sustainable power uh, when the grid is down. And so uh, we uh, drove it in from Louisiana and. It, it was powering communities in Sarasota and and in other impacted areas uh, that didn't have power uh, in partnership with uh, Streets of Paradise. Uh, and then there's a bunch of other folks uh, all throughout uh, the Gulf South and even uh, you know further afield uh, who were raising supplies, you know, collecting uh, different you know tarps and. Uh, you know, cleaning supplies, contractor bags, uh, food, water, different things, and then organizing caravans or box trucks uh, down to impacted areas. And and then once once they get you know to the area, we've been uh, distributing those to uh, hard hit uh, neighborhoods. And we also had a a fuel trailer. Uh, we we had this we have this fuel tank on on the back of a trailer that we. Uh, carried down to provide gas when gas was not available at the gas stations uh, uh, for the community. We also have a mobile medical unit uh, that that uh, some, some of our folks are EMTs or nurses or street medics, uh, different health professionals, and they've been you know checking doing wellness checks and, uh, and taking care of other wellness needs of, of people impacted. And is that in the Tampa area where the hub is located or is this in different areas? A lot of, a lot of the stuff we've done is mobile. Uh, we have a, a hub in Tampa where mo- mostly we've been collecting supplies. There's been people who've come by that, that, that needed some things. And, you know, we have, uh, you know, there's a number of different mutual aid efforts that operate out of that space. But a lot of our efforts have been down in the Fort Myers area and places between Fort Myers and Tampa. Uh, and, you know, with, with all of that infrastructure that I spoke of, uh, it's it's mobile, so we can you know carry it to different places, different days. Um, and we, we've also had uh, box trucks that you know we fill up with supplies and and distribute both to mobile distribution to uh, like low income apartments or uh, trailer parks or different places like that. And we have a hub in Fort Myers uh, where people are able to to come and and get supplies and and hang out. It's been a really beautiful atmosphere. Uh, the community uh, came together and created a barbecue. It's also a space where folks in the in the neighborhood uh, watch uh, the the football games on Saturday and Sunday. And so at the same time that everybody's watching the games, you know, people are coming in and out, uh, getting supplies and organizing supplies. And you know, there's a combination of you know different things going on. And it, but it's a it's a nice atmosphere. That sounds amazing. Talk to us about the space in Tampa. Where is it located in the city? Is it in a certain neighborhood? You know, how did how did that come about? My understanding it's part of a church. There's a church, Waters Ave Church, uh, that uh, has ev- actually ever since uh, Hurricane Irma, we we 
for Hurricane Irma, we had a different spot uh, out of a, out of a different church, and after several months, we lost that space. Um, and this other church, Waters Ave, uh, had uh, expressed interest in uh, ha- having us utilize the space, and we've utilized it for other things at, uh, in the past for you know, collecting supplies for Hurricane Dorian and, and different things like that. There's a community garden at the space. Food Not Bombs cooks out of the space. Uh, there's a local group called The Well that operates a, a pantry once a week. And we uh, were able to take, um, you know, u- utilize the, the sanctuary uh, for uh, collecting supplies and distributing them and, you know, to create a, a hub of activity uh, for relief efforts. A lot of, a lot of folks drop off supplies uh, there for people further south. And a lot of folks, um, you know, come through. Uh, to to pick up supplies, doing mobile distribution, not only uh, from mutual aid disaster relief, but you know, like we're we're about you know promoting autonomous action as well, and so you know we encourage everybody to to do likewise, and you know we have we have these supplies, and you know we're we're uh, organizing in this way so that you know more and more people can not wait for permission and and just take care of each other and and we we just installed a mutual aid center sign uh, on the property and it's it's been in the works for several years now uh but is you know becoming more and more crystallized as a mutual aid center in in the Tampa area it seems like there's a fair amount of people using the space and coming into bringing stuff just talk about that the kind of like the day-to-day activity it it really varies you know for the first couple weeks we were open pretty much every day you know daylight hours um but it's kind of tapered off in recent days and i find you know like the the community the the sense of you know solidarity and love for each other in these spaces really grounding you know there's so much you know in you know after a disaster like this that is chaotic you know can be overwhelming you know, there's a lot going on and, you know, being face to face with each other uh, is, you know, really special. And we can, you know, do do kind things for each other, make sure each other has has water or, you know, is, you know, helping carry something. And uh, that that person to person, you know, in person connection where we're able to work together um, and strategize on how to uh, what what needs what needs doing you know in that moment uh, and and build stronger relationships with each other uh, it, it's really you know to me really beautiful and really needed and magical and you know uh, everybody organizes in different ways you know and you know we have a lot of diversity within mutual aid disaster relief and how we respond you know in different locations and there's a lot of technology that's also been created you know, in recent years uh, to make, you know, mutual aid, uh, you know, easier. I, I still really value, you know, those in-person spaces uh, where we're able to connect and see each other's uh, faces and feel each other's uh, love face-to-face. You know, when obviously people are in so much need, is this also a time in which, you know, real connections and relationships are being forged? Yes, ab- absolutely. Um, you know, mutual aid is based on relationships and and mutual aid and solidarity is transformative for everybody involved. Um, 
And so it's, um, you know, like the top-down nonprofits, they may give, you know, at times, um, even with the bureaucracy and red tape, they may give what is needed physically, but it comes at too high of a price. You know, if, if something costs, you know, uh, our dignity, it's not worth it. Mutual aid is a way to share resources with each other uh, that is also about sharing power with each other. Uh, and, you know, it's a liberatory process, you know, and transformative for everybody involved. You know, we, we see these these moments, these disaster moments as kind of a window to how we can be living all of the time. You know, even amidst the, the chaos, the suffering, the trauma, the loss, after disaster, we share we, we share with each other. And there's an abundance often of, of supplies coming in and other resources. And this can be a microcosm of that better world that we're trying to create. Um, on the solar trailer, we have the Arundhati Roy quote, another world is not only possible, she is on her way on a quiet day, I can hear her breathing. And we, you know, after hurricanes and other disasters, there's many quiet days that we experience. Now, I wanted to go back to the mobile stuff that you all have. Talk a little more about that. Like, what's it rolling into a lot of these impacted neighborhoods and communities with that stuff? What are some of the experiences you've had been? It's it's actually been, um, you know, at times uh, joyful and humorous, you know, even amidst, you know, the loss, you know, you know, I mentioned the fuel trailer and we have a recently got a electric pump for it, but we had a hand pump for it. So we're hand pumping, you know, from the fuel container to people's gas cans um, and, you know, people you know, we're, we're joking and, and then there's, there's other, other moments too where, where we roll up, you know, like with a box truck full of supplies into a neighborhood that hasn't seen any assistance yet. And people, like, even, even though, you know, like we have these shirts on or we, you know, like come at it from a solidarity based perspective, you know, people's initial thought is, oh no, is this, going to be one of those stigmatizing charity-based things, you know, oh, you know, do I have to ask to get this, or do I have to wait in line, or do I have to show my ID, and then we very quickly try to assure people, you know, no, that's not not how it is, just basically, you know, like, we collected all these supplies, now act like you're in Walmart, and everything's free, you know, and, and just get what, get what you need, and, and, you know, no limits, even even amid you know like the the loss you know there there is still joy in in these experiences and uh, and I, I've definitely experienced yes. that uh, with the uh, communities legs. I've been Three body interacting sections. with. And the legs are clawed like a beetle maybe. This little fellow can start fires. Like starting a fire. Well, is there any kind of insect that? I mean, it doesn't. I can feel it. Try to run away when you start to step on it. I mean, it doesn't. Try to run away. Try to run away. It's an insect. 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 The wings of change have come to destroy. A blend of pain, rain, and the joy. Let it burn, baby. Let it burn. Let it go. Henceforth, all bullshit aside. Now let's ride. The universe works in mysterious ways. The moment is. Stay the same. The winds of change have come to destroy. Can you see the light at the end of the? T-
to die off so we can unite The neighborhood for the good fight Stabbed in the heart, he didn't wanna leave her But all she wanna do is dance and be a dreamer The winds of change have come to destroy A blend of pain, rain and the joy Let it burn, baby, let it burn, let it go Henceforth all bullshit aside, now let's ride One day you wake up and realize that you don't wanna wear these clothes anymore Shit, you're like a walking advertisement You start thinking, read them books instead of television Questioning everything Change. Everything is connected, thoughts are magnetic, reasons happen for things You start a fight collective, find things in the alleyway Must break cycle, must live, move on, stand up, be strong Cause the winds of change have come to destroy A blend of pain, rain, and the joy Let it burn, baby, let it burn, let it go Henceforth all bullshit aside, now let's ride New habits replace old habits, old habits of chasing rabbits One of it, you can't have it, have it, and you don't want it She's so pissed off, earthquake, hurricane, the sun scorches the desert your mind, there's something in the air tonight The people are coming together, the mic is being passed around No person or gender or race has power over each other any longer We're younger than you, smarter than you, and stronger than you We're ready to make shit happen, ready to make shit happen The winds of change have come to destroy A blend of pain, rain, and the joy Let it burn, baby, let it burn, let it go Henceforth all bullshit aside, now let's ride Must break cycle, must live, move on Must make paper stand up You know, one of the things that I've always uh, found really just amazing that Mutually Disaster Relief has been able to organize is these autonomous supply chains. Like, there was an article that came out uh, in the Triangle area of uh, North Carolina, like Durham and Chapel Hill and all that stuff. And they were talking about a, a supply drive tour that folks involved with mutual aid disasterly for organizing so they had like an event and people were organizing supplies that they would then put on a truck that would then drive to other cities to get more stuff and then that was taking it to different hubs that would then take it to the impacted areas in florida and i know in the past it's going down has run different uh interviews uh with folks that are doing this work of either creating different hubs or creating these autonomous supply chains. I just find that fascinating. Can you talk a little more about that, like how these different uh, hubs and chains are basically feeding resources to you all on the ground in the impacted areas? They're all self-organized, you know, throughout the network, um, you know, broadly, def- you know, broadly, you know, termed, you know, the network, you know, so we're in constant communication and partnership with many different mutual aid projects, you know, all throughout the country and the world. And so different, you know, people who have the capacity in their different regions have been collecting supplies. And then, you know, there's there's offsite support that has been coordinating uh, a lot of the, the autonomous supply lines. And it, it really is based on self-initiative. Uh, you know, if, you know, if folks are able to collect supplies and then if folks are able to you know, go through and transport them. Um, and it's, it's, 
it's really powerful. It's a really powerful experience to, as an individual or as a couple of people, to do your part in making something happen and trust that other people, other in other geographies, are doing the same. And, and they do. And, and it flows together in a very organic and powerful way. Now, I saw that you all put out a call for people to, you know, come and volunteer and get involved in the work. Do you think that that's something that needs to happen on a much larger scale? Because uh, I'm just curious, you know, when you, when you look at what's going on now, I mean, this, this is the new normal. And it's inspiring to talk about, you know, whether it's like hubs or supply chains or people being able to do things like mobile clinics. But I'm just curious, you know, um, do you see the way forward as basically just increasing the scope of this stuff or, or what? Like, you know, how, how do we kind of continue to build this? I think it can, you know, mutual aid in itself is multidirectional and our evolution has to be multidirectional as well. In, and, and so we can grow in every direction you know, both in the mobile infrastructure we have, the people power that we have to to back that up and to support communities on the ground, and also new mutual aid projects and groups. Um, you know, there's, you know, a, a group that just focuses on solar infrastructure after disasters called Footprint Project. Uh, there's, you know, another a group that is just, you know, getting started that's about, you know, creating, you know, manufacturing, uh, you know, alternative medical equipment and, and other emergency supplies. Um, and so, you know, rather than everything has to be uh, mutual aid disaster relief with a mutual aid disaster relief logo, um, you know, we're larger than that as a movement. And, you know, both, you know, mutual aid during non-disasters, you know, feeds into, you know, setting the groundwork for a just communal uh, solidarity-based response after disasters and uh, different diverse disaster response uh, mutual aid groups and and local mutual aid projects. And oftentimes, all of us who are involved with mutual aid disaster relief are also involved in other local mutual aid projects wherever we are. Um, and, and we often wear different hats depending on the context and the situation. And, and we encourage other uh, other. Uh, people involved in similar projects to do likewise. And we, we really want to, um, you know, be this, uh, mycological network underneath the surface and help grow this larger autonomous disaster response and mutual aid movements. Uh, because, you know, it's, it really is going to take all of us doing, doing everything. Like, if we, if we see something that needs doing, it's got to be us from below who get it done the if we if we wait for the state or or the market or the nonprofit industrial complex to solve the crises that we face they're not going to be solved uh so you know whether it's planting wetlands whether it's delivering you know pedialyte to a child or gutting a home of a elder or cleaning up superfund sites you know across the board whatever we see needing to be done all of us from below need to find ways that we can do it. And, and in so doing, we build our skills and build our capacities and we're able to do even more the next time something arises. You know, I've read a lot about uh, like local NAACP groups. Have you all coordinated with them or has there been any sort of uh, you know, cross-pollination between 
uh, mutually disaster relief and, and other groups that are doing similar stuff? Oh, absolutely. All the time. You know, like there were just recently over the last several months, there are two very devastating water crises in Jackson, Mississippi and in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, and in both instances, we partnered with local groups on the on the ground. We keep us safe in Baltimore and Cooperation Jackson in Jackson, Mississippi and helped, you know, with 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 those water crises and and continue to plan to continue uh, assisting, you know, long term as well. You know, what are some of the lessons from this that you would pass on to other folks? Yeah, I, I think one thing um, that that I, I've been thinking and talking with other people about oftentimes, you know, when a disaster like this happens, you know, there's it's almost like a spell has been broken, uh, but it's oftentimes a temporary lapse in the power of capitalism upon us. And, you know, for a moment, you know, in time, however long that lasts, we share with each other and we reimagine new social relationships. You know, then at some point, there's a transition back to, you know, like everyday life. I, you know, have been talking with folks about, you know, how, how to merge those, you know, and how to, you know, make it so that there is no line dividing that temporary lapse you know, that break in the spell of capitalism and, you know, the everyday life. Let's have a revolution of everyday life where we're constantly in solidarity mode, you know, in compassion mode and sharing with each other and reimagining new ways of relating to each other and the planet. And I believe that's where we're headed collectively, you know, as humanity as well, is, you know, rather than moments of disaster in response, it's, you know, constant disaster, but then also moments of connection and solidarity and uh, where we come together and meet each other's needs, you know, are able to build spaces of autonomy uh, and liberation, you know, that that needs to stretch out as well and become permanent. You know, we were having a discussion on the podcast a couple weeks ago about climate change. And I think one of the, the interesting things we were talking about was that like, you know, for instance, you brought up the situation in Jackson, like when so many people are so obviously pushed up against the wall and like, it's so clear how messed up things are and how dilapidated the infrastructure is and why that is, you know, the racist, classist implications of this system and just the inability of the state to do anything or even attempt to do anything to help folks. Like you said, it's a, it's a theater. As we continue forward, as climate chaos becomes more and more prevalent and this becomes the new normal, do you see things like exploding, you know, uh, demands being formed? I mean, or is it just people just trying to survive in the moment? Or is it both? It's both. But also one thing that, um, you know, I, I think it's, it is wonderful, uh, when our social movements make demands of those in power, those in positions of political or economic power. But also, that can't be all we do. And our social movements are most powerful when they don't demand, they, they, whatever they were going to demand, they do themselves. You know, and I think that's, that's what this moment in, in the, the, in the future with, uh, looming climate chaos demands of us is, is that what we were going to demand the capitalist class or the politicians do, uh, to, um, prevent worsening, you know, climate chaos 
and the destruction of you know humanity or the planet uh, we have to do from below ourselves uh, all of us uh, that that's what's needed in, in this moment just in closing, how can people donate to mutual aid disaster relief, both in terms of sending money online, but also is there still a need for folks to come out? Is Can people still bring supplies by? Walk us through all that stuff. People can donate at mutualaiddisasterrelief.org slash donate. Um, you know, there we have the Venmo, PayPal, uh, different um, different ways to, to support in that way. And yes, uh, we're a people-powered response effort, you know, solidarity-based, you know, people-powered, you know, um, effort. And so we can always use more hands uh, to to help with the work. Um, you know, it especially is helpful uh, when when folks uh, come with already established, you know, like infrastructure, whether whether it's their car or uh, supplies. You know, like you you mentioned, you know, people can can bring in supplies from other places. But uh, if, if people have skill, we can put it to use down here on the ground in Florida. And then also, um, you know, there's we also encourage everybody to get involved in local mutual aid projects as well. You know, wherever you are, um, because, you know, it's just a matter of time before a disaster hits those locations, too. And it really helps to, uh, you know, already be connected and and to leverage that local community infrastructure to uh you know responding to to disaster whether it's in that location or or further afield and yeah we we're always looking for more and more people to to become involved and um you know, we we need each other uh we we um we're all we have but we're also all all we need uh there's um uh there's also a, a number of resources on the website mutualaiddisasterreef.org if you Tap the 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 button for resources. Uh, there's a bunch of resources on how to clean up safely after you know floods. Uh, to start mutual aid groups, there's different resources on that. Uh, and yeah, we're we're about you know this larger movement uh, that is blossoming and blooming all around us, and we're you know really excited to you know create that future together. This has been the It's Going Down podcast. Check itsgoingdown.org for daily updates, columns, action reports, and news. Go to itsgoingdown.org slash shop to support us and follow us on all social media platforms. IGD, your daily resource for insurgent proletarian life.